The scripture reading uh, for this morning comes from Psalm chapter 62, verse 8. Hear the word from the Lord. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Imagine yourself sitting with a good friend, uh, somebody who you really trust, but you just haven't seen him in a while, and, and so you've got some catching up to do. Um, you're sitting there, you've got some good coffee, maybe some cold brew from Lineage or something like that, and, and, and maybe you're in a, a log cabin out in the mountains somewhere, or, or a condo on the beach, somewhere where there's no deadlines, no distractions, and you just get to talk to your friend. And so as you're sitting there, you begin uh, to just catch up, and, and as the conversation warms up, you find yourself opening up, and you begin to share some things uh, about the, the highs and the lows of the last season of life. Um, and as you guys are sharing kind of back and forth, um, you realize you find yourself uh, actually saying some things that you didn't even know were true until they came out of your mouth, and, and, and yet you realize when you said them that they've been there all along. Um, and, and maybe you even feel some emotion coming up, some, some sorrow, some, some tears that come when you talk about the low moments over the past season, uh, but but joy and gratitude when you're talking about the high points. And, and, and as you're speaking, your friend kind of leans in and listens well. Uh, it's something that you've always loved about them. And, and, and as, you're, as you're sharing, you, you find yourself uh, beginning to feel unburdened by the cares of your heart. Uh, and, and you leave that conversation feeling known and loved and, and even energized. Now, this is the invitation of prayer to all who are friends of Jesus. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. And so he's inviting us as a good friend uh, who has his ear. And yet, many of us don't experience prayer like this, like this enjoyment of, of time with a good friend where we can unburden the cares of our soul. Uh, instead, we get down on our knees sometimes and we wonder if God's even listening. Now, I want to explore this. What, what's going on here? Um, and, and really what I want to do is I want to address what I think is the problem, which I'm submitting is, is a lack of knowledge of God and a lack of knowledge of ourselves. We don't know God and we don't know ourselves well. And, and what I mean is we don't have that personal, intimate knowledge that comes from deep relationship. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Psalm 62, verse 8 together. And, and I'm actually going to break all the rules. I don't have any points for this sermon whatsoever. We're just going to walk line by line through this verse. And, and I want to explore what it looks like uh, to begin to open up to God more in prayer. So look with me if you have a Bible or maybe you memorized it in the last 30 seconds. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm, 68, or Psalm 62, verse 8. Look at line 1. Trust in him at all times, O people. You realize we, we are the most free and fearless in the context of trust. Like if you're anything like me, I'm actually funnier when I'm around people that I know and trust than when I'm around people I've not really met before. There's just something about the, the freedom of being in a trusting relationship, a trusting environment that, that begins to allow you to open up in ways that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. And, and so what the psalmist envisions for prayer is just that, that we would have this felt sense of God's fatherly care that enables us to relax into his presence, opening up our hearts, telling him what's going on, being real in his presence. That's the picture of prayer that we have here. 
Um, um, It's a picture that we get to have a life of unbroken fellowship with our Father, one where whether when we wake up or when we work, whether we are experiencing gladness or anxiety, we can at all times begin to discuss these things and open up with Him in prayer. Um, This comes from this kind of unwavering confidence that we have our Father's ear. But notice what the psalm says, trust in him at all times, O people. And, and there's, that's the challenge, right? There's, there's a positive thing here, which is um, that you're never a bother to your father, that, that you really can at all times come to him in trust. But the challenge here is, is it's trust in him at all times. In other words, there's no time where you're exempt from trusting in God. And, and why that's a challenge is, is because that means that in our afflictions, in our adversity, and in our prosperity, trust him. In, in the bright days of blessing and in the dark nights of loneliness, trust him. That's the call of, of this first line here. But easier said than done. How, how is it that we begin to trust him at all times? Well, well I said earlier, I think the problem is, is that we don't know God. We don't know him. Now, I don't mean that you don't believe in him. I don't even mean that you don't have good doctrinal knowledge of him. In fact, we sent out a survey earlier this year, and and most, if not all of you, have very good doctrinal understanding of who God is. You know he's three persons in one Godhead. You know he's omniscient, omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, infinite, eternal, all these things that that we profess about God that are good and right and true. You know these things. But we also know that Uh, What we know about God doesn't just come out on paper, but it comes out in prayer. And so we really begin to realize, what do we actually know? How do we actually trust God when we begin to pray? And so this puts us in a difficult spot because uh, many of us know God in theory, but not in practice. And when I say in practice, what I mean is, is that deep heart level acquaintance with him that can only come from regularly meeting with him in the secret place of prayer. And so we find ourselves trying to pray during the season of Reset for Renewal, and it's like being, it's awkward at times. We're not there that often. So one of the reasons I think that we have a hard time praying, like Psalm 62 envisions, is because we do not know God. And, and, and this, is, this is one way for me to understand it. Um, It's been said that there's really two ways that we have a perspective or perception of God. The first one is what's called a God concept. Now, this is your kind of rational, conscious ideas, beliefs, things that you would say on a doctrinal statement about God. That's your God concept. And and I'm just going to assume most of you don't believe in some pantheon of gods that lives on the top of Mount Olympus. Like you have a good God concept in in many ways. I'm sure it could be formed and, and shaped better, but it's pretty good. But there's a second way in which we have a perception of God, and that is our God image. Now, that's different from the image of God, what what all human beings are created in that gives us dignity and worth. This is your God image, which is a a deeper, usually unconscious, uh, that, that, that shapes your view of God at a relational level. Most often your God image is shaped less by the books that you read or the sermons that you hear, unfortunately for people like me, uh, but really it's shaped by the relational experiences of your life. In other words, if you have a hard time praying, it might be because of your father wound. It might be because of your mother wound. It might be because you've been damaged in relationships. It might be because you've experienced a traumatic event 
And all of those things might actually make God seem distant from you or, or in ways that he is actually not. And so you need to be aware of that. And so what I want to ask you is, what is your perception of God on that deeper level? Down at what's been called your, your trust structures. How do you perceive God? Is he a distant father? Is he an overbearing mother? Is he kind of overwhelming or is he more aloof? What, what is it that you view God? What is your God image at that kind of deeper level of how you trust him? I know of only two ways uh, that, that these kind of God images, this, this image of God that we have uh, at a deeper level, the o- I only know of two ways that that's healed. One is the Holy Spirit shows up in an extraordinary way and fills us with a sense of God's majesty and mercy. The other one is the Holy Spirit shows up in ordinary ways and fills our life with people that embody and exhibit God's majesty and mercy. I'm going to talk about the first one a little bit later, but, but what this means is that if our God image, this kind of deeper level, uh, this deep-seated way in which we view God, if it's shaped by relationships, that means it's malformed and reformed in relationship. And so let me just ask you, as, as we go into these 40 days of Reset for Renewal, I'm asking you to pay attention to this. Pay attention to when you get down before God, what is it that you, what is it that shows up for you when you can, when you have this conception of who God might be? Pay attention to it and lean in. Dare to believe that maybe God is more majestic and wonderful and terrific and outrageous than you could ever imagine. And he's also more tender and near and merciful and kind than you could ever imagine. Lean in over these 40 days of Reset for Renewal. And and so the psalm begins with trust in him at all times, O people, but then it moves to what does this actually look like in practice? What does it actually look like to to trust in him at all times? And, And look with me at the next line. Pour out your heart before him. I love this as a picture of prayer. It's a great metaphor. The image here is that as your heart is warmed through trusting God, that it will become almost like water and you'll be able to pour out your desires and your feelings and your wants and your wishes in his presence until all that is in your heart is known to God. Um, One of my favorite commentators on the Psalms, Charles Spurgeon, says this, turn the vessel of your soul upside down in his secret presence and let your inmost thoughts desires, sorrows, and sins be poured out like water. Again, to pour out our hearts before him is to let our wants and our wishes flow out in the presence of God and then to patiently submit our wills to his. But this is hard. (laughs) And, And one reason that we don't do this is because we don't know ourselves. Like we go to pray and we begin to pour ourselves out and a drip or two comes out. And we're thinking, what is going on? What's actually happening in our hearts? Um, at the beginning of the year, I usually I do this often where I'll, I'll, I'll figure out something I want to study, something I want to immerse myself in and learn, and, and then I'll do that. And so this year, um, I wanted to study Carl Jung, the 20th century Swiss psychiatrist. And so I began to read some of his works and, and to, to read some secondary literature on him. And, and one of the things that maybe the most helpful insight I came to um, from studying him was this. He believes that every human being lives between two worlds. 
You live between an inner world and an outer world. You live between all that is within you and all that is outside you. And this was the insight, he said, and both are equally profound. In other words, your soul is as vast as the solar system. You wonder why we don't know ourselves. Now you're like, okay, Swiss psychiatrist, whatever. Let me give you some Bible here. Proverbs 20, verse five says this. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Your your soul, your heart is is like a well, uh, and, and you begin to put a bucket down in it, and you begin rope after rope after rope, and it keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper down into the well. That's the Bible's picture of the human heart. And so we don't know ourselves because we're deep. But not only are we deep, we don't know ourselves because we're self-deceived pretty easily. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? One of my favorite definitions of mental health is it's the ongoing process of dedication to reality at all costs. I love that the ongoing process of dedication to reality at all costs. Because guess what? It's costly to find out what's really lurking and lingering in the various corners of our hearts. And so we we find ourselves with defense mechanisms and personas and fig leaves that hide ourselves not only from other people, but even from ourselves. And so we don't know ourselves because we are deep and because we are deceitful, but uh, take courage. There's some practices that can help with both of these things. I want to give you three of them. The first one is what's called a prayer of examine, uh, or as we've been calling it, a prayer of reflection. If you've been joining with us so far in Reset for Renewal, you've been praying this at night, and, and all that this is is it's basically inviting the Holy Spirit, the one that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, searches even the depths of God, pretty deep. Um, The Holy Spirit, we invite him to search our depths and to begin to disclose us to ourselves. It's a prayer of examine. The second practice is fasting, right? Like if you've ever fasted, you realize it's a fast way, no pun intended, uh, to, to learn a little bit about yourself. Like I'm actually kind of discouraged to find out how much my peace is based on the pleasures of eating. Like, I don't know if you're like me, but when I fast, it's like for every meal that I miss, just like the fruit of the spirits are on a sharp decline. The fruit of the spirit just kind of does this. And so I'm much less patient and kind. I lack a lot of self-control and I begin to realize this stuff is going on. But even more, um, when I don't eat food, I find that there's deeper hungers in my heart that I'd been turning to food to assuage. And so fasting helps us to learn a little bit about ourselves. Um, And and so what we're doing during Reset for Renewal is the officers are actually going to be leading the whole congregation in fasting every Monday for these 40 days. And so what we're doing is we're not going to eat breakfast or lunch. We're gonna, we, we will eat dinner, um, and, and because this first day, uh, this first Monday is Memorial Day, we're actually going to bump this first one to Tuesday because to not eat on Memorial Day would just be un-American, and so, uh, but we're inviting you, and hear this, it truly is an invitation. In other words, you can say no, <laughs> and, and, and actually there's some people in our congregation, um, maybe pregnant or nursing mothers, or maybe people recovering from an eating disorder, or maybe people with dietary constraints that I would say you are released from joining us in fasting, but we're inviting the congregation, Mondays, 
breakfast and lunch, to fast in a way for us to feel a little bit more dependent on God. The third practice is called watchfulness. Watchfulness is actually an ancient practice in the church um, that roots itself in Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember he tells his disciples, watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation. What does he mean by that? You ever wondered that? Um, Surely he doesn't mean watch outside for any Roman soldiers. Jesus is the one that actually told them that when they started to come. What he means is watch internally. Pay attention to what shows up in your own soul. And, and so watchfulness is just that. It's, it's noticing as thoughts and feelings and images and desires and urges as they show up internally and we're, we're attentive to them, we're watchful for them. And, and, and if you're anything like me, um, it can be surprising this stuff that can show up. The, the darkness of the thoughts, um, they're afflictive, they're painful, uh, that, that just show up out of, seemingly out of nowhere. Um, and so what this watchfulness, what this is as a practice is as we begin to pay attention to what shows up in our minds, we begin to regain agency, some control over what we give our consent to. Another way to put it is I can, I can remember a time driving in my truck and, and, and an anxious thought just kind of darted into my mind. And I had, a, I had a choice in that moment. It might not seem like it at first until you practice this for a while, but I had a choice in that moment. I could either grab hold of that anxious thought or, or rather probably let it grab hold of me and, and just pull me into this downward spiral of anxiety. Or I could take a deep breath praying, Lord Jesus, on my inhale, have mercy on my exhale, noticing it, naming it for what it is, and then offering it to him in prayer. And, and so later in the 40 days, we're going to be doing that, that practice called the Jesus Prayer to practice watchfulness. Because what it does is it helps us, as, as soon as these thoughts show up, uh, we pour them out before they root themselves in. And so there you go. There's three practices that help you learn a little bit more about yourself. But you know that self-knowledge is not enough. In fact, you might find all this stuff out about yourself, but you're still unwilling to pour out your heart before him, in his presence, to his face. Because the only way that we will freely and frequently make known our hearts before God is if we trust him. And so that puts us in a difficult spot. Because uh, again, what I love about this, this image of the heart being poured out is, is it almost pictures the heart being like frozen like ice. And, and until the sunshine of God's face shines upon us and melts our hearts so that, they're, uh, so that they flow freely in wonder, love, and praise, we're gonna stay frozen. Until our hearts like wax are, are melted by a, a love as fierce as fire, we're not going to freely release our anxieties in the presence of our Father. And so really what we need is uh, the only way that we will pour out our hearts before God is if he pours out his heart before us and, and shows us, proves to us that he's trustworthy. And guess what? He's done just that. Um, The Father pours out his very heart in sending his son, Jesus. John 1.18 says that Jesus came from the bosom, the chest, the heart of his Father in order to make God known to us. That's significant. 
Uh, a theologian named Rowan Williams says, the, pro- the purpose of all that Jesus says and does is to unveil a picture of God that is trustworthy. He's done just that. Like if you slowly, meditatively, imaginatively read through the Gospels and just watch Jesus, there's not some sketchy God hiding behind him somewhere. What you see is what you get. Jesus himself said to Thomas, if you remember, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so as we watch Jesus in the Gospels, we see towards the end of the Gospels what happens as he's dying on the cross and Jesus pours out his heart in love for us. Um, If you remember, I believe it's at the end of John's Gospel, there's that scene where the Roman soldier, um, just to make sure Jesus is really dead, like dead dead, takes a spear and sticks it up, probably under his ribcage, right into his heart. And we know that because the Bible says that blood and water flow mingled down. Biologically speaking, we have reason to believe that what that means is that Jesus died of a ruptured, a broken heart. Um, A pastor in the 1700s, his name was actually Benjamin as well, so you know he's trustworthy. He said this, um, uh, he basically said, imagine what Jesus would say if he got the opportunity to talk to that soldier who speared him in the side. And this is what he put, the words he put in Jesus' mouth. If you meet that poor wretch that thrust the spear into my side, tell him there is another way, a better way of coming at my heart. If he will repent and look upon him whom he has pierced and will mourn, I will cherish him in that very bosom he has wounded. He shall find the blood he shed an ample atonement for the sin of shedding it. And tell him from me, He will put me to more pain and displeasure by refusing this offer of my blood than when he drew it forth. Consider that for a moment. Your distrust, uh, your weak prayers, your weakest groans that are too deep for words are all washed in the heart blood of Jesus. This is why the poet George Herbert Herbert called prayer a Christ-side-piercing spear. When you pray, your prayers, like that spear, shove right up into his side, into his very heart, and pierce him there, and he can't help but flow outward with mercy and tenderness towards you. This is the picture of prayer that we have. And and so not only do we have the Father pouring out his heart by sending Jesus, and, and not only do we have Jesus pouring out his heart on the cross, but we have the Father and the Son pouring out their very heart into your heart when they give to us the Holy Spirit. If you look at Romans 5, 5, it says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So over these 40 days of Reset for Renewal, I'm asking you to make that part of your prayer, that that the Holy Spirit would come in this extraordinary healing way, that he would make himself present in your heart in such a way that you begin to trust God in deeper ways than you've ever trusted him before. That, that as God, uh, as you experience this kind of exchange of hearts with God, if you will, as you pour out your heart before him and he pours out his heart into you, that you would begin to truly trust him. As we close, I want to look at this last line. It says, God is a refuge for us, Selah. Um, my wife for my birthday last year uh, had a 
piece of artwork commissioned, actually from one of our very skillful artists in our congregation. And it was, a, it was a, basically this calligraphy of sorts that had a quote on it. You could probably guess that, uh, given who I am. And so she got this commissioned um, because our son, Augustine, is named after uh, the great African pastor, Augustine of Hippo. And maybe his most famous line of all time is this. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. I love that because that's what's happening here when we hear that God is our refuge. Another way to put that is God is our heart's true home. Um, when you pray, it's a foretaste of heaven. It's like, it's like a finger lick of brownie batter before you get them and put them in the oven. It's, it's a taste of heaven because it's got the flavor of home. And so as you pray during this 40 days, uh, this reset for renewal, I'm asking that you would consider during those three times of morning, noon, and evening prayer, that you would consider prayer as a way of coming home. And, and as you come home, wherever you are, whenever you pray, as you turn your heart towards your Father in prayer, you are more home there than anywhere else in the world. This is what it means for God to be a refuge for us. And so prayer is learning the mother tongue of our heart's true home. It's this invitation for us to turn and to run to him at all times, that, that we can find in him a refuge for us, a sanctuary, a place where we can hide and heal, a place where we can rest, a place where we can find God's, his presence to be soothing and safe for us. And, and it's important to notice those last words, right? That God is a refuge for us, for his people for the people of God. And so in this 40 days of reset for renewal, don't let the separation hinder us from solidarity. We're doing this together as a, as a church because God is a refuge for us. Come, join. Ask anybody if they wanna join with you. And, and as we pray together and seek our heart's true home, we will experience that solidarity that we're all lacking right now. I wanna end where this psalm ends, or this verse ends at least, with this beautiful and mysterious word, Selah. Um, nobody knows what it means, uh, but I like to understand it as this invitation to reflect, to rejoice, to rest, and to receive all that God is for us in Jesus. If you would join me now in prayer. Father, we come home to you, even now, we turn, uh, we come to ourselves in order to come home to you like the prodigal son. And as we come home to you, we trust, uh, because this is by faith and not often by sight, but we trust that you are waiting for us with arms wide open, ready to throw the robe of righteousness, Jesus' righteousness around our shoulders, and ready to kiss us with the kiss of the Holy Spirit. We ask for that, and we ask that you would incline your ear towards us in Jesus' name. Amen.